listen to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. You are listening to the DC Public Library Full Service Radio from the Lion Hotel in Washington, DC. My name is Victor Benitez. I'm joined by my new my my co-host Casey Anwell. Casey, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Casey Danielson. I am a library associate and work in the the studio lab. Um, the library has a studio lab. Some people don't know that. Uh, so I started at the library in 2001 while I was in undergrad finishing a degree. And uh, so I started in 2001, finished college, played in a bunch of bands, did a bunch of recording and mixed some records and stuff like that. So, um, so college actually took me a little bit longer to finish. But um, yeah, so I guess... Casey, what kind of bands were you in? Uh, rock bands. Rock bands. Yeah, like in, cool. in indie rock bands. Um, and so then I sort of switched over to film, filmmaking about six or seven years ago and made some short films, mostly the, a couple activist type documentary things and um, then some horror, which is what I really like. Um, recently getting back into music and I'm actually working with uh, a close college friend of mine who is out in LA and his house is surrounded by wildfires. So he lives in Ojai, which is O-J-A-I. Um, and looking at the wildfires map, it's all closing in right on his house where all of our music stuff is stored on one of his hard drives. So Wait, do um, you have that backed up? I have it backed up, yeah. Okay. But you know how creative stuff is you got it backed up and then you need to back it up three times oh yeah t- totally um, i would be really scared right now for you yeah and and so i guess i pass over to you well because you understand what i'm talking about yeah losing your creative material no so you for sure do, what do you do yeah so um my name is will reed uh i am a library associate uh also uh working in the studio lab um so I, I guess I actually spend a lot of my free time working on films and stuff like that. Um, my um, most recent documentary uh, was actually just released on December 1st in Tampa. It's called Trash Empire. Um, it's a documentary about food and agriculture and sort of the political history of food waste. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm interested in all things creative, whether that be music, film, um, my undergraduate degree, I'm actually trained as a painter. Um, I started working at DCPL actually while I was in graduate school studying film, uh, and, and then everything just fell into place around that time. You know, the DC library decided that, you know, it was an important thing for us to start working on a... Uh, studio lab where people could be working on their own projects and I think that's actually probably where I first met you was that that meeting yeah we had a meeting where we were it was before the studio lab existed and we were going through we're brainstorming what what it should look like what it should have all that kind of stuff so yeah we never met suddenly we were in a room together with um, I think a couple decision makers going down a list of gear yeah Um, and also 
your film that you made, the Trash Empire one, mm-hmm. was a, was a, f- a finalist in that. In oh the yeah. yeah, no, no, this was really exciting um, because it's the f- I, I've made other f- shorter films before, but I've never submitted anything to any um, festival. But I submitted it to the Tampa Bay Film Festival, and it was w- um, one of six finalists for best documentary. Um, there was probably about between 40 and 50 documentaries in the festival. So that was really exciting. I didn't win. Um, I lost to a film about like rock music in um, Tokyo, which is actually a really cool, interesting subject. It was about like garage rock, the garage rock scene there, which is something I didn't know existed. Um, But yeah, I mean, that's cool. It was a, it, it was a bummer to have lost, but at the same time, it was like really a thrilling situation. Let's just say you didn't win. Let's yeah, I not didn't say win. You lost. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Come on, man. It was still it's still a, a nomination, so that was cool. Um, and uh, uh, it was weird when the festival began. They grabbed me and um, had me go and pitch my film in front of everyone, and on opening night, and they played the entire um, trailer for my film. And all the other films just got snippets put together in a massive trailer for every film. But for whatever reason, they played the entire trailer for Trash Empire, but nobody else. So that was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Were you nervous up there? Uh, not really. You know, like I've gotten past a lot of the nervousness. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that we're here doing full service radio as employees of the D.C. government because my first encounter with um, radio was I was a host for Radio CPR, which was a uh, an illegal radio station in D.C. that only shut down recently. So that, I mean, like I'm going the full gamut, like from this countercultural thing to now, while, while full service radio is not a government thing, you and Victor and I are here as government employees. Like, that's weird. Well, and th- I mean, in, in the entire concept of there being a studio lab at a library strikes a lot of people as weird. It and, is and weird. Until, until they go and they realize that it's young people sharing art and having some outlet, you know, they don't have access to the technology and, you know, to the expertise yeah. when we do classes and stuff like that. Um, so it's broadening the idea of what libraries are. And I think that's basically what everybody's doing. That's what everyone's trying to do. And, and when we do move back to Martin Luther King Library mm-hmm. uh, after the three-year modernization, um, you know, the studio down there is going to be Pretty it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, what about you, Victor? Yeah. Well, like I said earlier, my name's Victor Benitez. I'm a librarian at the DC Public Library. I've been a librarian since... I would say 2011, and the DZ Public Library gave me my first professional job as a librarian. Um, I started out over at the Tenley Friendship Library, and then um, there was a time when um, the staff was asking for people if they wanted to transfer to a different location. Um, at the time, the Digital Commons had just opened, Um, There was talks about opening up a fabrication lab, a studio lab. I've always been interested in technology, emerging technologies. Um, So I asked to get transferred into that department. Um, It's been good. Um, So now as a labs librarian, you mentioned, Casey, that the MLK library is closed. Um, So we have all... I'm currently now at the Shaw Library, 
Um, but you know, my 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 main job, really, I would say, is to find ways to bring services from the fab lab. So, say the three D printers or the um, or the services from the studio lab um, into all all areas of the city mm-hmm. here in DC. Um, it's, it's my goal to like get this technology out there for people to like use and really start so that we can start hearing their stories, but also more importantly, so we can store these stories for like future long term. Yeah, that's so I guess we're going to talk about that a little bit later mm-hmm. when we get into talking about oral histories. Um, we had an idea and that was to sort of dial the clocks back and look at some important firsts when it came came to radio so we have a an audio clip we'll pull an audio clip yeah yeah so it's it's really interesting um so um basically in 1958 um the u.s government launched the um first like communication satellite into space and that was on december 18th 1958 and then the very next day they started Casting signals from it and the first signal that they broadcast was this message um, that Dwight uh, Eisenhower had recorded and it was weird because they had it on a cassette player that was just playing on a loop over and over again like continuously rebroadcasting I mean in a way it's like sounds so like rudimentary archaic yeah totally Um, but this thing was in space a cassette player in space that how weird is that um, and it uh, was caught, uh, the signal was caught by commercial broadcasters. It was a really weak signal, and then they rebroadcast it over regular radio, and, um, you know, here we are now, about 60 years later, and we're broadcasting over the Internet, and I think you were saying earlier, like, we're bouncing around all these satellites. Um, yeah, if we wanted to take a video outside of the, where we are now at the Lion Hotel and shoot it up onto YouTube and somebody in Japan could pull it up. Um, that's, you know, that's an everyday thing. Yeah. Like people do that all the time. So do you, so I guess we can take a listen to that. Yeah, we can take a listen to it. What it is, is it starts with the announcer um, from the station that caught the signal and then he sort of introduces it and then they play the, the signal and you'll hear what I mean. Like it's very difficult to understand, but now here we are crystal clear. Yeah. So I guess whenever Jack's ready, we can uh, listen to that. We have on tape or recorded the voice of the president of the United States as it's being broadcast to earth from our great satellite put into orbit last night. Through uh, Radio Press, WBAI, and uh, this particular program are able to bring you the voice of the, U- of the President of the United States as it is being endlessly repeated in the endless orbit around the world, a voice addressed to all men everywhere.
believe it would be very difficult indeed for me to add to that. We have been happy indeed to be able to bring it to you. Well, that's amazingly bad sounding. Were you able to understand it? Uh, Do you need a translation? A couple words. So I could barely understand. Yeah, so you have to really focus. But he basically is saying, like, through the marvels of modern science, uh, the United States is sending this message of peace to all men on Earth. And this was, like, intended as a Christmas message. But, uh, you know, it's so weird because the announcer in that um, clip, first off, he was talking in a really weird way to us. But then he, he doesn't even address how poor it sounded. Right. That's like so weird. Yeah, I guess the, they don't have a reflection point. It was more, you know, the point was that it existed, that it actually happened. Yeah. So it was just so new. Yeah, it was. That, it that was, was the totally exciting new. point. Well, you know, thinking about, you know. What, our own first show. Yeah, our own first show. Um, so we're doing, we're doing this radio show. Um, do you want to? introduce sort of what this radio show is going to be yeah so i mean this is something we've been talking about at the studio lab and the idea for this program is to really showcase um the different voices that we meet at the library um and to start chronicling um those stories that we forget every day about odc about um people in dc who may be different to us and also just this is a library program so we want to um, talk about the library in a way as well um, we want to talk about our own work in the studio and the fabrication lab we want to highlight the many different things that libraries do because you were saying earlier we're not just a collection of books and dvds and databases but more importantly we're a community space that's very vibrant and alive and, you know, we had a meeting the other day, the D.C. Oral Histories Project. Um, so we're putting together, it's a really, really interesting project. It's, oral histories have been collected uh, by the library and by um, other organizations for a long time. But we want to make sure that they're safe and that they're archived. And so part of the project is um, how do we do that? And there are, you know, there are a whole bunch of librarians whose job, especially um, the two that were running the meeting, you know, their job is basically digital preservation and how to make sure that this stuff is chronicled and safe. Um, so, you know, we've done oral histories. We've interviewed, Will and I did some filming, interviewing people about um, their, their memories of the MLK library before it closed and just getting some people's ideas who... Uh, you know, people of all different kinds and, and, and the memories they had of that building. Um, I think, you know, we're in, we're in Adams Morgan neighborhood right now. And, um, you know, this neighborhood has changed a lot. Yeah. And there's a lot of history. We were, we were talking about two blocks from here. There's a, there used to be a SunTrust bank. And before that, I don't know how long before that, but um, I guess we could age it by, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Jimi Hendrix played at this this venue. Um, and one of the guys who comes in to use the studio lab every single week, two two days a week during our, our drop-in studio time, um, 
at Shepherd Park. Uh, he comes in every week and he 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 shared this story with us as we were talking about um, DC history. And he said, oh, yeah, I was at that concert. He was a teenager. He said he snuck in and he watched the show and he was, you know, starting out as a musician also. Um, and he's, he's a sick musician, but, um, sick as an awesome. Yeah. Sick as an awesome, um, infirmed (laughs) with with talent. Um, but yeah, he said people, a lot of people there just did not get it. He was, and he was saying he didn't get it himself. He thought it was really weird. And, you know, he said the guy's dressed like a girl. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone looked around and said, you know, he's in these frilly clothes and it's the height of counterculture. Yeah. In the way. Yeah, and it's a lot of that psychedelic stuff. He said he didn't really, uh, it didn't really make sense to him. Right. And then that building didn't you? So that that's the building that fell apart, right? Yeah, my understanding is the the roof collapsed on it, uh, and you know injured a lot of people, killed, um, killed some of them, of and then this building that we're in now, um, what I hear is was used as a facility to you know, handle the situation. A temporary morgue. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, there may be a better term than that, but that's <laughs> sort of what it was. Um, so we have, uh, so we're, we're going to be doing a weekly show. Um, each of us is going, I mean, each show will have a certain theme and we're going to bring in some guests and talk, um, but it's going to be a weekly show here at the Line Hotel. That's right. Uh, so we have, there are four of us. Uh, Olabumi Bakari is not here today, but she's going to be doing um, some really interesting segments about DC's changing. Uh, I don't know the the, the, the ethnic trend of right. uh, gentrification. Um, she's very interested in that, and she's she's been she's a DC resident, DC native, so she has a lot of interesting ideas there and connections to people. Um, so, I mean, we're going to be doing one a week. And, yeah. and what, also one of our goals is to highlight all the music that we hear at the library. Um, there's so many um, concerts that happen at the library. There's so many people that come in and use the studio and record. And they're looking for a place to kind of showcase their work. Um, so one of our ideas is to bring that music here and, and play it for people and, and kind of showcase it. Um, I, I don't know if if, pe- if listeners know, but the Great Hall has been a, a, a wonderful venue at the at the King Library. Yeah, yeah, the Great Hall at the Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial Library has been a great venue for not only lectures and poli- where politicians have come and and spoke, but also of like music um, from all sorts of of, of genres, from rock, um, funk jazz classical stuff. classical yeah. Yeah. well and never forget to highlight as well that in the basement they would have we would have punk shows and that the that building it was it was so solid that even with that punk show happening in the basement you'd go upstairs and be in the library stacks and you couldn't hear a thing like yeah. how crazy is that yeah i mean when you look at the construction plans of the original mlk building we were looking at them on our way here um that place was built like a bunker, sort of. Not to look like a bunker, but I mean, it was, you know, well, it was solid. I think that's a really good segue into some of the things that um, Victor had discovered even about right. the um, space. 
Yeah, so in preparing for this episode, I thought it was interest it would be interesting to kind of look at the history of the main library. Um so I found out um I, I found this article that was on the architect.com website and it's called The Forgotten History of Me Van der Rohe's MLK Memorial Library. But some of these plans um just talk about um the article itself talks about how there was really no consensus around where to build the new library um and what it should look like. Um there was um where it's currently located 9th and G um at the time was a place that didn't really have any foot traffic. So people were pushing for the library to get built over by where the museum is currently located. Um there was also even talks about how um the whole at, at one point the the group that was doing its recommendations for the city advocating putting no windows in the in the new building um that is crazy yeah let me actually read i mean read. that would have really made it into a bunker <laughs> exactly <laughs> so let me let me read a passage from this article it says today windows serve practically no useful purpose modern lighting and air conditioning methods have obviated the need for reliance on natural light and air In fact, a much more even and satisfactory level of lightning and temperature can be achieved if there are no windows. Windows are a special nuisance in the library. They consume wall space against which shelves or exhibits can be placed. The views are distracting to the reader. Adjustments to blinds and sashes are a constant source of irritation to attendants. Furthermore, windows are costly to clean and otherwise maintain. So this was back in the 1960s that's great um where there was a push for to just get rid of the windows just think of that so, <laughs> yeah what would that have been so i mean that would have been a bunker cuz i mean with so they're saying that they're they're minimizing the importance of natural light in there right oh and saying that's that they can bizarre. do it so much better with um artificial lighting i mean on some level i understand what he the, what the guy is saying but you know can you imagine what mlk would have been like for us when we when we were still working there um if there were no windows it sounds awful yeah right well and i guess at the time there was a movement towards a more like utilitarian right. sort of work environment where i guess you would escape the outside life and be indoors and and be able to focus on what you had there in front of you. Right. And that makes sense. I mean, but like now that would never fly like a building without windows would be so dated. It would be so sad. So <laughs> so Mies van der Rohe is the architect for the for the MLK building and so there's keeping the facade but modernizing the entire building um in these three years. Um Is that considered brutalist architecture? It's not. No. It's um, What is it called? It's a so it's part of the it's a I think it's part of the Bauhaus movement. Okay. Uh, and oh, then right. the right. specific architectural style style is I I can't recall, but like modern something. <laughs> like it goes along with the mid-century like um furniture design and things like that. Okay, so minimalist. Right. Yeah. Cool. And I mean that was the idea for for the library. There was like calls like part of the recommendation that was done called for a very ultra modern library um that had like all the cutting edge technologies of its time. I don't know if you remember working at the MLK build, building 
But in some of the areas in the shelves, in the book, where the books are located, mm-hmm. you can see old like buttons. Yeah. yeah. So that was an intercom where people in the stacks can then page a librarian over at the desk. Am and I if, wrong awesome. to say that there was a pneumatic tube system in the building yeah, as well? So there, the, the, right. Yeah, the idea was to also install these tubes where you can return your books yeah. and they would, be, they would go flying around to wherever they needed. And then there was this weird thing on both sides of the main entrance. There were these slots where oh you could God. drop books and then they would go down the slide and then get on like a treadmill. Like a conveyor belt. Yeah, that would bring everything down to the basement. Now, for as long as all of us worked there, that system was inoperable. But yeah. like the skeleton of it was still there. It was just really weird. Yeah. I, th- I think what they said was people were... Putting inappropriate things in the return slot, and it got to become a problem. <laughs> Let's not give anyone. I mean, any there ideas. was even yeah, the, the yeah. plan for the library also included a drive-through, so yeah. that people can check out and check in books from their cars. It, so it totally seems like the Jetsons. It, the entire it's thing. Super interesting. I wonder when the fast food drive-through window first came about. I wonder if there's like a correlation. If this was like a trend. I'm going to say the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you could probably drive up and I mean, there were drive up liquor stores too. drive up. There still are where I'm from. There are these barns. You drive your car through the barn and they sell you liquor and they shrink, shrink wrap it so that it's still a closed container. Isn't that scary? <laughs> that is crazy. I'm from Texas. Yeah, of course. No, I'm just kidding. Um, well, so we're talking about the great hall and we had some performances there. We have an audio um, a, a bit of audio from one of the performances there by a group called the Horse Lords, and um, this is part of the Fringe Music at the Library um, series. So we recorded all of these Fringe performances. Um, we have them on SoundCloud, and we're going to be um, distributing those uh, in the next year. So um, we have a, a, a clip here of one of the coolest parts of the Horse Lords set. that on my ipod um what, what band was this horse lords horse lords. that's yeah. awesome yeah it's really cool the entire so i mean the the saxophone noise part is actually like at least two minutes long oh, wow. so he does this entire intro thing it was really cool um so before gonna, we move on yeah see, sure sure um this reminds me of i remember when we had the concerts in the great hall like half of the customers at the library loved them yeah, no, definitely. The other half would be like, how dare you make so much noise mm-hmm. at the library? 
Um, I don't know if you guys remember that. But, well, well here's uh-huh. what I remember. Um, you know, a lot of our patrons at MLK were people at risk or in various states of need. And, you know, there are a lot of people that you see in D.C. and your automatic judgment of them is that, you know, this person, you know, doesn't know anything or, you know, they're in whatever kinds of trouble. But, you know, we would have a lot of those people go and sit down and listen to the music. And and that would even include like the classical music. You know, you would see somebody sitting there who otherwise you wouldn't have thought that they would be interested in it. Like that was always really cool to me. And the Great Hall. Do you remember the salsa class? Was it salsa? No, no, no. It it was was tango. Tango. Tango, Yeah. Yeah. So they would have like every week or every other week this you know, huge group of people out there that were practicing and learning tango. Yeah. And so um, normally we would have to close the doors to the digital commentary because right. it was pretty loud. But yeah. um, but it just shows how much the library is a community space. Yeah. Where and it was truly diverse. Right. And any sort of activity can happen mm-hmm. at the library. Um, it's a great place. And it's still the only one of the only free places where you can go in and not have to pay any sort of money to get a library card. Um, you pay no money to use a studio, to use a fab lab, or to check out any books. You free. know, something that they mentioned in a training that really stuck with me was that this idea that um, in terms of government entities, we're one of the few ones that people elect to come and interact with you know you go to the public park because you choose to go there and you go to the library because you choose to go there for the most part everything else is you either got in trouble or there's some paperwork you have to have to take care of but it's not like you wake up in the morning and say hey i really want to go wait in line at the dmv but you might wake up in the morning and say hey i really want to go to mlk today yeah and the mixture of people and it's not just at MLK, it's at other branches. And, you know, it's pretty much every DC library branch. You'll see there's some, there's some amount of people who are in need, uh, homeless folks who need a place to go to either warm up, to cool down, or, you know, to use the computers, that type of thing. You know, Casey, um, I was once one of those persons. Oh, were you? Yeah. So it's an interesting story, but I guess the first time that I ever came to Washington, DC, I was an undergrad. Um, it was back in 2006, and I'll admit I was dating someone at the time, and they were interested in doing alternative spring break. So, okay, I so that's why it. you did it. Okay. Yeah, that's the main reason I did it. <laughs> but the, the name of the alternative spring break program it was Urban Plunge, and it was here in DC. I honestly didn't know what it was, but like two weeks before, they sent us a packet of telling us, "Okay, you're gonna have to prepare for this visit by not showering." by not shaving. So it turns out that we were going to come to D.C., work with the National Coalition for the Homeless. And the urban plunge part of it was to actually live like a homeless person for for three days and two nights. And one of the things that um, the people at the um, coalition told us, you know, go to the library. Um, It's a warm space. No one will harass you there. It's welcoming. So, yeah, that's exactly what I did. That's um, awesome. I waited in line um, to get into the MLK library. Back then, there was, um, like, um, metal detectors, and you had to open your bag and, and get checked. And I remember walking to the Great Hall. Um, and honestly, I was trying to look for the bathrooms, 
and I couldn't find a way to get upstairs. So all I did was stay on the ground level, and I went down to sit at the at what is now the digital what was now the to digital cross your legs and try not to yeah not to bother anyone just mm-hmm. to like maybe nap stay stay warm, but. Back then, I never thought I'd end up here in D.C. I never thought I would actually work at that building. That is so crazy. Yeah. (laughs) That's, yeah. Um, I think that's really interesting. So um, you were talking about how you couldn't find the way up. You were looking for the bathrooms. I think we should elaborate on that a little bit because um, a lot of people... That specific story? Yeah, no, it's that specific element because I don't think uh, if, if some people haven't been to the MLK Library... Like, I mean, th- this speaks to the degree to which, you know, it, it needed to be modernized. Um, but, you know, for example, there are no public restrooms on the ground floor. And that is very confusing to a lot of people in terms of navigating the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there are these kind of weird maze-like structures beyond the Great Hall, the main foyer. Um, where, you know, somebody could really get lost. I, I found that we would have to direct people a lot. Yeah, all the um, time. And, well, you I know, remember reaching, like, the staircase and, like, noticing kind of weird people hanging out there. And right. And it's like, I'm just going to stay on the ground level. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird but, people at the library. That's <laughs> Well, that would be us. Yeah, that, that would be us, too. That's yeah. three of us. They're going to have these really um, elaborate new stairwells. I, I think, aren't they, like, glass or something right the idea is to kind of open up where the stairwell is so that anyone can look into the stairs and see who's coming up who's going down um yeah yeah it'll be very like glass window yeah um, it'll be much more open so i i don't want people to hear victor talking about these people hanging Mm -hmm. out there and think like oh you know the new modernized mlk is going to be scary it's going to be great um yeah it's going to be the opposite of what I mean, when I first started in 2001, um, you know, you had to go. So there was a back stairwell for staff and most of the lights did not work and they were just sitting there blinking. It was like, uh, you know, the Soviet Union, Um, just sort of everything blinking off. But um, it changed a lot over the years. But yeah, it's going to be awesome when it reopens. Um, We're excited for that. Yeah. Um, well, you know, we talked about the oral history project. We have um, we have an audio clip from one of the oral history interviews that we did. Um, this was several years ago. Um, the interviewee is is a Peter Bailey. He's a he's a local sort of mini celebrity on the you know in civil rights history uh, and an activist. So um, we grabbed a little clip of him and just for an idea of what the oral histories contain. Um, so if we can cue that up, that would be great. This is Peter Bailey. You said you, you, you were attending a Catholic school from yes. first through eighth grade, uh-huh. and you didn't think of the nuns as white. Explain that. Well, we did I mean, we thought of them as, you know, Sister Mary Angeline and Sister Mary Clemenza. We really didn't. I at least didn't. Uh, because we knew they were white. And you didn't encounter any discrimination from them. Oh, n- n- no. I, I doubt very seriously if they would have done anything like that, uh, you know, considering the situation that they were in. I mean, we're not talking about, we're talking like everybody in the school was black, all the kids, all the parents. I don't know, I still to this day do not know how those Dominican nuns and priests, they decided to set up a Catholic school 
at and uh in church in Tuskegee. I, I don't know what was the the, the, the Were they American basis for or were they from somewhere? No, no, they were they were they were Irish Americans. And I always laugh jokingly tell people that we were we were basically about the nuns uh taught to be Irish nationalists because they were very, very anti British. Uh you know for for historical reasons because of the whole thing between Ireland and England. And so they taught us, they, when they taught us history, uh, I remember they made uh, Queen Elizabeth I of England sound like she was like the worst thing that ever walked the face of the earth. And, and, and the biggest day at the school celebration every year, other than Christmas. I mean, we did a whole big, every St. Patrick's Day, all these black kids, you know, we learned Irish jigs, and, and I can still do, to this day, I can still do a little Irish jig I learned to do for an assembly. You know, so that was it was a it was it was again an interesting, unique experience. So, that's Peter Bailey. Um, I could listen to him all day. It was a really interesting, and you have a lot more to that um, that maybe we can pick from in the future. Yeah, there's so there's two hours of 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 his interview. We're going to be interviewing him again, actually, and he may. Uh, I think um, when Boomi does her show, I think she's going to try to get Peter Bailey on yeah. here to share some stories um, because he's still around D.C. and he's still active. Well, what was really interesting to me about what we just heard, it's that it really is capturing kind of a moment in his time that is also representative of um, the history and culture at that moment. Like he's talking about going to school and not realizing that his white nuns are, of, are white are white and in a way he didn't have an understanding of like I guess racial difference yeah there, uh, I mean earlier in that interview he talks about how he never really had to ever interact with anyone who wasn't who wasn't black he said you know in his the area of his uh, his area of town and also the businesses um, they were all black owned and black run so except for the the, the delivery people who would, you know, deliver, I guess it was like the postal postal workers, but also um, delivering milk and stuff like that. He said, you know, they were white. But other than them, you know, growing up, he never interacted with white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that guy, is a, he's a goldmine. And, you know, there's actually, if you look online, there are photos of him with Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Um, in the 60s. So he's been around for a long time. Um, we should say something about the studio lab and how um, at Shepherd Park Library, Will and I both um, do programs at the studio lab where you can come in and record um, audio, video, and um, for the most part, people, at least so far, have been coming in to use the Adobe Creative Suite to cut videos or do Photoshop and stuff like that. Yeah. But And to learn how to use it. You know, um, a lot of this, I think, can be really intimidating um, when, once you start talking about technology, there's um, a lot of barriers for a lot of folks. Um, I think it's worth noting that at the K Street Library, we have the regular basic computer classes. And then, you know, uh, f- as far as what we do, we have a lot of these more advanced classes. But just because it's advanced, you know, people shouldn't feel like it's inaccessible to them um, because the software um, is, uh, I think, at least in my opinion, compared to how it was about 15 years ago when I started using these kinds of softwares, it's become a lot more 
um, user friendly, especially for folks who, you know, don't have a major technology background. Yeah. And we spend time doing Photoshop basics mm-hmm. at least twice a week with someone who's just just starting out. But then, you know, also do advanced Photoshop if, if people are interested. So, um, yeah, we try to be flexible yeah. with that. And I really enjoy teaching um, video basics courses. It's been on hiatus uh, over the last um, couple of months, but I think in January we'll start that back up as well. Um, an opportunity for people to learn about the basics of video production. Um, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of people get this idea that in order to make a really great video project, you know, they need to have money and all of these fancy things. But the reality is that, you know, um, with like something like a smartphone, an iPhone or an Android, um, the quality of video cap- captured um, is really good. In fact, I used some um, footage from not not throughout, but on a rare occasion, um, picked up some shots for my film using um, using an iPhone because it shoots in 1080p, which um, for um, the listeners essentially is is the, um, an HD video that you could expand onto theater screen without having a distortion. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's right there at our patrons' fingertips, this technology. And the cool thing is they can come in and work with us and learn how to harness that, te- te- excuse me, that technology to um, accomplish what they're working on. And wouldn't you say one of the most important parts of teaching people about this stuff is teaching them that they're capable of doing it and that yeah. it's not to be intimidated by because that's the biggest lesson. Once somebody realizes that they don't have to look at the yeah, process with fear, then they realize, oh, I can do this and this and this, you know? So yeah. that anxiety is just imaginary and dissolving that away, just, you know, sitting down with somebody and watching them realize that they can do it. I think you're totally right. And what that really makes me think of is I used to, for a brief period, was a children's art teacher. And I worked with very young kids from ages three to six. And what I noticed was that right around age five, um, kids stopped being as creative and they weren't exploring as much in the drawings that they were making. And I think it was that fear you were talking about. They start to realize that other people are looking at their drawings and not necessarily seeing it in the same way. And they're afraid that other people are going to see it and think that it's wrong or bad somehow. So they're inhibited. They're they're, inhibited. And the same thing happens with some of our adult patrons. They come in and they're, they're just afraid, but you know, so in a way the studio is like the best perfect space where people can come in and just play around with instruments with um, audio and video production Um, well how can people learn even more about the studio Um, well I mean A by coming in and having a conversation with Casey or I um, and this is at the Shepherd Park Library it's at the Shepherd Park Library it's on um, Georgia Avenue um, across the street from McDonald's do you know the exact address I just go there 7420 yeah yeah Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably the very best ways to stop in and talk to us but they can also go to the library's website um, and yeah dclibrary.org and then find under 
you, you'll see services and then down at the labs you can find the studio lab and it's um, our email address is studio.lab at dc.gov yeah. the phone number to the Shepherd Park Library is 202-541-6100 so you can always call there too um, so we should probably wrap up here okay and um, it's going to be it's exciting this yeah, is exciting I'm really excited I think, I think listeners can expect to hear a range of things like we like we did today music to oral stories to history book talks yep. everything yep and uh we're looking forward to the next one so yeah. thanks for listening yeah stay tuned yeah.